You're listening to Season 6, Episode Number 1 of Strike the Match. In this episode, I talk about the apostolic imagination and rethinking 10 aspects of contemporary evangelical missions. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with teacher and missiologist, Dr. J.D. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. Hey folks, welcome to season six, episode number one of Strike the Match. Wow, I know I say this every season on the first episode, but I never thought I would be saying season six, episode one. But I am, and I want to welcome you. I'm J.D. Payne, and glad that you are listening uh, to uh, to this episode to my podcast. Hey, if you are not a subscriber to Strike the Match, let me encourage you to do that. Uh, I'd hate for you to miss any of the episodes that are uh, coming up in uh, this season. And then, of course, uh, there are five seasons, if you have not had a chance to listen to them, that you can go back and check out as well. Hey, I want to give a shout out out to all of you faithful listeners. Um, I know that most of you uh, we have never met, but I want to, to really just say how much I appreciate you in, in your listening over over the, the past few years uh, with Strike the Match. Your, your comments uh, on social media, on reviews that you've done on this, uh, uh, this uh, podcast, as well as just your, your emails to me and just encouraging words really mean a lot. I greatly appreciate that. And, and I, think for, I think I speak, uh, I think I'm safe to say that I speak for most podcasters when I say that those those comments uh, make a huge difference in um, future uh, podcasting episodes and continuing on in, in podcasting, you know when when you're the when you're the one person show when you're the one man band so to speak, which most podcasters are most podcasters uh, are a guy or a gal behind a microphone and they're doing all of their production they're doing all of their uh, interview setups they're doing everything related to mixing and editing and recording and things of that nature um, they're they're the ones just like I was a few moments ago having to change out microphones using a mic I've never used before because my my best mic my that I use uh, is having some problems right now um, when you're the one person show and you're sitting in front of a microphone you don't see the people who are listening uh, so when you get those those encouraging words that really does mean a lot and so I just want to thank you all so much for for that uh, for your ongoing listening and, and sharing uh, strike the match show with with others so here we are season six uh, episode one where are we going this season together well I'm going to be doing something a little different that um, that I have not done in the previous five seasons and I think you'll like it I'm really excited about it uh, of course, this uh, this season will involve the um, the guests. Well, I'll have some outstanding guests on uh, on the show, uh, talking about a variety of topics. So that so that will be in place. But one of the things that I'm I'm doing, and I'm kind of kind of launching this with this first episode uh, today, uh, is I, I, is I'm wanting to, I want to give you a glimpse into a book that I'm working on right now with Baker Academic. So a book that I've been wanting to write for many years, uh, The Apostolic Imagination, Rethinking Contemporary Missions, 
It's what I'm working on uh, right now. Actually, I'm working on a couple books right now. Um, actually, now that I think about it, I'm working on, on three. I just finished one, and it's in the editing process. But anyhow, that's, that's another story for another time. Um, you know you got too much going on when you can't remember what books you're working on. But, um, but anyhow, uh, this book, Apostolic Imagination, I'm finishing it, Lord willing, by the end of the year. Um, that's my deadline. And... Basically, I'm addressing 10 issues, 10 issues that I think are critical for us as, as evangelicals to, to really think about and, and adjust our thinking and therefore adjust our actions in certain ways when it comes to global disciple-making. Um, I... Uh, well, where can I start? Where should I start on this? Well, I'm, I'm going to give you an overview, kind of an overview of the book that I'm working on, and then uh, there will be future episodes in this season that I will tackle one, maybe two, maybe even three of these uh, ten topics in in each uh, in each individual episode. And so I'm going to give you a good overview right now to kind of let you know kind of where I'm going with this, and I think it'll be very helpful to you. And and of course, you know, this is a standalone episode, so if someone is unable to listen to one of the future uh, episodes, uh, they'll still be able to benefit because I'm, I'm giving a good intro in this episode. So um, so many years ago, uh, I was a sociology major, and um, there was a book that was written. It was called The Sociological Imagination. It was written by a sociologist called C. His name was C. Wright Mills. Uh, the book was actually a paradigm shifting kind of book in the field of sociology. And I'm not going to go into the, to, to, the, to the contents of that book, but I remember several years ago thinking, um, you know, what, what, you know, that, 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 you know, Mills was writing about, you know, the individual thinking about society, but I'm thinking about, all right, what, what, what was the apostolic imagination like? And how should that affect the way that we engage in global disciple-making uh, in, in our day and time? And so the, the idea for writing um, a book on the apostolic imagination goes back many years. Well, it's, it's really funny. Um, I've, watched, I've watched this matter over the years, and that is when you have an idea, uh, other people elsewhere also have an idea. I think sometimes it's just the way the Lord is, is working, His Spirit's working to to uh, to lead his church uh, in the sanctification process, uh, but I noticed uh, a few years after you know I was you know thinking about wow it'd be great to do something on apostolic imagination. Um, I noticed that uh, that Alan Hirsch started doing things on this topic, and some of the guys that were co-writing uh, with him. And so I've gotten to know Alan over the past few years, uh, uh, see him a couple times, uh, a couple times a year, and have some good interaction with one another. Uh, and uh, you know, just super, super guy. And so, um, so Alan is writing on this topic as well, and is is stirring some some good, some good conversation and moving things in in some exciting exciting directions. But but I'm I'm taking it from from a similar but well maybe that's the best way to say it. I'm taking taking the topic in a similar direction. I'm not, I'm not going in the exact direction that, uh, that he and some others are going in, uh, but definitely influenced by, by his thinking and so much appreciate the work that, that he has done on this, uh, this topic already and continuing to do. Um, and I uh, love the brother and thankful to be uh, able to serve on a, a council of missiologists with him as well. 
Um, so when I talk about the apostolic imagination, I, I want to encourage you to, to, to listen to me in the way that I am thinking and writing and speaking about this topic, just so you'll have the context. I don't want you to assume uh, that you know, what I'm saying is what other people are saying, uh, you know, and vice versa. So anyhow, um, apostolic imagination, rethinking um, contemporary, contemporary evangelical missions. So back in uh, 1991, uh, David Bosch publishes this uh, this book that has had incredible, incredible uh, impact in uh, mission thinking and mission theology, uh, and that's his book on uh, transforming mission. And it's a it's a beast of a work. I mean, it's an outstanding work, but I mean, it is it's very dry. And um, what uh, what Bosch does is he he really takes he goes back to the scriptures and looks at several uh, ways that some of the uh, writers approached what he refers to as mission, but then he takes a historical look and it looks and examines a variety of, of paradigms out of which uh, the church operated uh, over over 2,000 years. And uh, Bosch basically comes to the conclusion that, um, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, uh, Bosch comes to the conclusion that at the end of the 20th century, which was when he was writing book published in ninety one, um, the church uh, was in a, was in a liminal state, a state of transition uh, from the need to move out of one paradigm into another paradigm of of um, of mission, and and so so I I lay that out there to say, Bosch makes that argument. I think he was right. I think he was right. We were coming out of a time of colonialism uh, that had come to an end, and until so the whole mission station paradigm and things of that nature were, were, were fading, but the world was changing, and uh, the church's influence was changing at that time in the, in the early, mid-20th century. But I will say this, even though Bosch stated that we're in this transition state, I, I think that we're still there. I don't think that, particularly from an evangelical uh, standpoint, looking at this from a Western perspective, I don't think that that we have we have arrived at that new paradigm um, that is to come after what Bosch was advocating in in his work. I think we're still in this transition state. And if you just look at some of the titles of some books that have have come out in recent years, um, you, you know, you you have back in. Uh, you know, 2018, it was the second edition, but 2018, second edition of David Hesselgrave's uh, Paradigms in Conflict, 15 Key Questions in Christian Missions Today. Um, you know, when I wrote my book, Pressure Points, 12 Global Issues Shaping the Face of the Church, I addressed some of the significant issues that were raised at Cape Town 2010, affecting present and future mission. Uh, you have Michael Pocock, uh, Galen Van Rena, and, and uh, Douglas McConnell, in their book, uh, The Changing Face of World Missions, uh, where they look at many contemporary issues that missionaries experienced in their, you know, in their, their labors during this, or that are, that missionaries are experiencing in this, this time of transition. Um, you know, Paul Borthwick published a book called Western Christians in Global Mission, uh, in which he attempted to ask the question about, you know, what's the role of the West in, you know, kingdom advancement. And then, uh, even more recent than any of these other books, uh, you have uh, Denny Spitters and Matthew Elliston uh, writing this very brief, but it's very provocative work called When Everything is Missions. 
uh, in which they're arguing um, that much of what evangelicals are calling missions today is not really uh, missions. So I would say that the crisis uh, that Bosch talked about, that the church was in a situation uh, whereby um, she was not in a new paradigm and, and things were getting really messy in, in the definition and understanding of missions and things of that nature, I still think that we're there. I, I think we're still in that, uh, that, um, that point in history. Uh, it takes a long time. Generally speaking, it takes a long time for... Uh, a, a social group, church is obviously a social group, to transition out of one paradigm into another paradigm. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, sometimes it takes decades and even, even longer than that. Now, there are things that can speed up that process, but you know I'm not going to take time to talk about that at this point in time. But I, I don't think we've made that transition. And so um, when I talk about the apostolic imagination, I, I'm asking some questions um, about what, you know, what is a possible way to, to navigate through this liminal state uh, and position the church for future evangelical mission. I mean, you, you think about it. I'm gonna, I'll mention this. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I mean, you think about it. Um, you know, the way we use our language, the way we talk about what, who's a missionary, what is missions— um, you know, it, it, it's, it's all really confusing at this, at this point in time. So um, if, if missions is rooted in the apostolic nature and actions of God and his church, then I am saying we must consider the apostolic mindset behind such actions. So how does God view the world in light of his mission? What is his expectation for the church before the parousia, before the second coming of Christ, you know, how, how might the first century apostles or, you know, how, how might they contextualize their efforts if they were around in the 21st century? Um, how should an apostolic people prioritize their activities? How should we view our talents, our abilities, and other resources in light of the mission of God, in light of the mission of day? So when I'm, I'm talking about the apostolic imagination, I'm talking about what was that, what was that mindset? What was that, that approach by which you have the first century believers approaching this notion of go into all the world and make disciples, to preach the gospel to all nations, to bear witness uh, for me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of, of the world? So in light of that, and again, I'm going to unpack these 10 issues more in future episodes, let me give you an overview of these 10, because I, I think that that may help kind of give some clarity, some illustration to some of my, some of my thoughts on the apostolic imagination. I think that the apostolic imagination, that mindset that we, that we see practically play out in the New Testament, that, um, that affected the way of life. Obviously, you, you can't get into people's minds, but uh, you can you can read about their actions recorded in scriptures, and you can read their exhortations about how we should think, how we should act. So 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 there is an element there that is clearly clearly revealed uh, to us in scripture. I mean, we we have not only these these indicatives, these narratives describing things, but at the same times we have at the same time we have these imperatives, we have these these statements of command that that are talking about how life should be lived in the kingdom as a citizen of, of Christ. So I, I think, first of all, so number one, the apostolic imagination 
is going to require us in the 21st century and, and every generation, it's going to require us to, number one, rethink our language. You know, language communicates, and all language is rooted in context. And, and so the language of mission and missions is something that has, that has, a, uh, has a history that has morphed into something very confusing. So when you go back and you look at the language of mission and missions, it, 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 it does, while the concepts are found in the Old Testament and New Testament with the notion of sending, the, those terms come more out of, out of Latin and out of the context of the 16th century. So you have Ignatius of, uh, of Loyola. Uh, Lo, Lo, Sorry, I'm tongue-tied here. So you have Ignatius of Loyola, who um, is sending Jesuits into the world. And the concept of mission is and missionary is tied into to their work in the 16th century. That's when the, the that's when the term really begins to apply to this thing that we have as our contemporary expression about what we call missions. Now, the concept itself goes back and is rooted in the uh, relationship of of the of the of the Godhead, um, and and so you see that throughout church history. But as far as the application of this notion of mission, missions, uh, missionary activity. That really begins to to get solidified and applied practically to the church in the 16th century with the Jesuits, and so it's not long after when those terms begin to be applied in that context that you see that same language being connected with European colonial and military expansion. So at that point in history, you have these European uh, uh, nations that are colonizing various parts of the world, and they're expanding oftentimes through military. And so there becomes this tight connection between going to Christianize and also um, civilize people. And the notion of uh, conquest gets all mixed into this, and there's a long history there, and I'm not going to unpack it here at this moment. But basically what you have is this language of sending really gets gets muddied and equated with things related to economic expansion, military conquest. Uh, at the same time, it's connected to things related to the church, and oftentimes the church was, was hand-in-hand with uh, political expansion as well in church history. You know, Michael Stroop picks up on this need for shift in our language in, in his most recent book called Transcending Mission, The Eclipse of a Modern Tradition. Uh, he really addresses this need to, to, to change our language. You know, I mentioned Spitters and Ellison a moment ago. I mean, they, they write in their book, I'll quote them here, uh, they write, uh, quote, an uncritical use of words and in particular a lack of shared definition for the words uh, mission, missions, missionary, and missional has led to a distortion of Jesus's biblical mandate ushered in an everything is missions paradigm and moved missions from the initiation and oversight of local churches to make the domain of individual believers responding, or excuse me, to make it the domain of individual believers responding to individualized callings. Uh, what are they getting at here? Um, they're saying what Stroop's saying, they're saying what others are saying, and that is our language related to this concept called missions is very muddied. It's very confusing. 
And so, you know, just go back, just go back in, you know, in the in the brief, brief history of the whole missional church movement and look at how different people are talking about defining what missional church is. And so the notion of our language needs to be really considered. And, and I'm making the, 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 the claim that we need to begin to return to the New Testament and begin to use the language of apostolic in what we're talking about. I think that the notion of, of mission and missions, so mission, historically being uh, you know God's act, his, his action in the world, what he does, missions, the practical things that his people, the church, uh, engage in, those, those terms have become so, so muddied over, over the decades, over the centuries, that I think we need to push, push our language back prior to the 16th century and return to the New Testament and begin to, to look at the language of the apostolic and what do we mean when we talk about, when we say the, the apostolic. Uh, that begins to get more specific than this thing called mission or missions. Um, the second thing we need to rethink, and that is purpose. So we rethink our language. We also need to rethink purpose. So, so these tie in together. Biblical purpose is found in biblical language. All right. So, uh, the use of extra biblical language, mission, missions. Those are extra biblical. Uh, the use of extra biblical language has resulted in a great deal of, of variation in matters related to global disciple making. Now, I'm not saying that extra biblical language is wrong. Uh, we use the word Trinity. But I will say this, you know, concepts like the Trinity have a long history of development on a theological level and explanation of what is being discussed there. We don't have that with the, the extra-biblical language of, of missions and even mission. I mean, it was really in the, the mid, early mid-20th century that we really began to start talking um, and seeing a great deal of, of, of d- discussion and development in the area of the theology of mission. Uh, prior to that time, a great deal was, was not being advocated and, and discussed. And so while extra-biblical language is not, it, it's not a bad thing, it just means that when we begin to move into that realm, things can get muddied. So at present, for example, missions, listen to this, at present, missions is about medicine, it's about digging wells, media, church planting, putting a roof on a building, educating missionary children, social justice, and a two-week summer trip, just to give you a few examples. So what we have is we have developed these culturally preferred definitions that have really, I believe, hijacked the biblical purpose behind missionary activity, mission activity. And I think part of the reason why that's happened is because the language that we're using is heavily coming out of the 16th century. And it's not rooted back in the apostolic language of, of the scriptures. And so when that begins to happen, it is very easy to develop your culturally preferred definitions by which you're going to assign the topic missions. So, so missions has become, has become everything under the sun. We now live in a time, we live in a time where apostolic purpose is optional when it comes to the Great Commission. We live in a time when apostolic purpose is optional when it comes to the Great Commission. We can do missions and not be involved in making disciples. 
we can do missions and not share the gospel. We can do missions and not be involved in seeing churches birthed out of the harvest. Go back to some of those examples I mentioned a moment ago. We, we go on a mission trip when we put a roof on a building. We go on a mission trip when we are doing, uh, you know, water irrigation. We go on a mission trip when we're engaging in church planting. Well, all of those things are radically different concepts and actions. So we need to rethink purpose. What, what is, what's the apostolic purpose behind uh, the mission of God in the world? What, what, is, what does that look like? What, what, is, what does purpose look like in uh, the body of Christ in the world in which we find ourselves? Third thing we need to rethink is we need to rethink identity. Rethink identity. So, again, you can see how all this comes out of these previous concepts. So if, if our language is confusing, our purpose is going to be confusing, therefore our identity is going to be confusing. So today, no distinction exists between a missionary and any Christian. No distinction. Both identities and functions are indistinguishable. Uh, it's Though it's popular to teach that every Christian is a missionary, uh, such, such causes confusion when one attempts to look for missionaries in the Bible that correspond to desired contemporary expressions. I mean, I remember once reading a, a social media post on a Sunday morning whereby someone posted, hey, as you go into your worship, um, your sanctuary this morning, look around for people that are sitting by themselves and go over and talk to them. Because today we are all missionaries. Well, that is a different identity than the man or woman who is living in Central Asia among an unreached people group seeking to share the gospel where the foundation of the gospel has not been laid. Those are different identities. Are both individuals followers of Christ? Yes. But the concept of, of identity, what do we mean when we even talk about what it means to be a missionary, is very confusing. And identity is very confusing. And again, if we begin to go back to the language and purpose and identity of what does it mean to be apostolic, going back to the New Testament, then I think that we, we're on a much healthier trajectory. Next, another thing we need to rethink is that we need to rethink function. Rethink function. So... When you look in the New Testament, the apostolic work was a very specialized task. It involved preaching the gospel. It involved gathering those new disciples together as local expressions of the universal body of Christ, called local churches, and working with those churches to, to appoint their own pastors, their own elders, and then continue to follow up and connect with them and make sure things are in the process so that their sanctification is going well. I mean, that's a very specialized task. Not everyone in the, in, the, in the Bible was involved in that work directly. I mean, Paul made this clear. I mean, when he writes, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he says, you know, not everyone is an apostle, prophet, teacher, or miracle worker. So it, not everyone was directly involved. Everyone was involved in, in this unfolding the Great Commission, but not everyone was directly involved. And that is, in the body of Christ, there are different functions. And so when we begin to talk about this thing called global disciple-making, it's going to require us to go back and rethink function, to rethink apostolic function. The church has got to distinguish between apostolic functions found in the Scriptures from other ministry functions. 
Both are valuable. Both are desperately needed in the kingdom. But there is a difference between the two. So painting, for example, a classroom in the, in the name of Jesus and going to plant churches from the harvest among an unreached people group, they're, they're, they're both important kingdom labors. Don't, you know, don't misunderstand me saying that. They're, they're both needed and both valuable in the kingdom. However, they, they are completely different. And we categorize them in the same area. We put them in the same component when it comes to what we would say is a function of a missionary. Again, if mission, missionary is much broader than the apostolic understanding of the ones who are sent in the New Testament, then you can see how it goes in that direction. Um, you know, th- again, these, these functions are both good, but they're not the same. And they don't need to be uh, conce- they do not need to be seen as same functions, both valuable, both important, yes. I mean, I mean think, for example, Acts chapter six. So the apostles had no problem noting through Luke's writing, noting that it was not right for them to serve tables. They were involved in that ministry between the Hebrew and the Grecian widows and the daily food distribution for a season. But they said it's not right because they were neglecting their primary function being involved in prayer, and going out into the highways and hedges doing evangelism. It wasn't that the waiting on the tables, the serving the tables was bad or wrong or was uh, not of much value. In fact, what did they do? They, they had the church to appoint others for the task, Acts 6, 1 through 7. And, and so contemporary distinctions are also needed. Uh, not everything the church does across cultures is apostolic work, and we need to keep that in mind. Um, next, what else do we need to rethink? We need to re- re- rethink strategy. So if, if research is correct and, and, and then we still have approximately 7,000 people groups that remain unreached, including over 3,000 unengaged unreached people groups, then the wise kingdom steward needs to be strategic with his or her resources when it comes to this global crisis. You know, the Lord does own the cattle on thousand hills, but he has not chosen to give all of those cattle to his people. And so we're limited in our time. We're limited in money. We're limited in people power. Um, there's no room to be haphazard when it comes to disciple making on a global scale. So in view of the global reality of lostness, we need to have prayerfully discerned, spirit-guided, strategic planning involved. That, I believe, is the way of the apostolic imagination. Another thing to rethink, we need to rethink location. So, rethink location. Uh, clearly, there's an importance for disciple-making, church planting, and the issue of geography. I mean, you look at Romans chapter 15. I mean, when Paul concludes that great letter to uh, the believers... You know, he talks about that uh, from uh, Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, Romans 15, 19. Uh, he's completed the task. There's no place left for him to, to work in that area. And so in verse 24, he's saying, I'm going to go to Spain because his desire is to preach where there's no foundation uh, of the gospel that's been established. But that is a different understanding of location and geography when it comes to the apostolic work, than 
the individual, the denomination, the church, the network that says, hey, we need to go into this community, we need to go into this context to simply create, develop, provide another worship expression to attract Christian families and call it missions. And so Jesus came and died for people. He came to seek and save lost people, not to seek and save geographical locations. The apostolic work is, yes, founded in geographical locations, but it is an aspect of uh, the evangelistic process that is involved. And so, so simply transferring one's location for ministry is not the same as following the apostolic footsteps. And and so the apostolic imagination is concerned with lostness, concerned with sanctification in areas, yes. But it the notion of geography is only related to that when it's connected to unbelievers and not just simply going into a community for the sake of just going into a community. Now, I'll, I'll plan to talk more about that in, in, a, in a previous episode. Uh, next thing to rethink. We need to rethink our resources. Rethink our resources. So... You know, the, the stat that's been around for some time, going all the way back to, oh, 2001, uh, was when David Barrett and Todd uh, Johnston uh, wrote, published the uh, World Christian Trends, 80-30 to 80-2200. And in that, uh, in that massive, massive book <laughs> that is uh, the size of a small suitcase, um, they noted that 0.1%, 0.1% of all financial resources were directed toward global disciple-making efforts in the most unevangelized countries. Um, R.W. Lewis, in her article uh, recently, wrote about uh, her article in um, the International Journal of Frontier Missiology, uh, volume 35, number four. She makes the statement that um, for every 30 missionaries who go to the reached people groups of the world, every 30 missionaries who go to the reached people groups of the world, approximately one missionary goes to the unreached. And according to her research, this means that an estimated 95% of all missionaries are serving among active Christians who are reaching out to nominal or near-culture unbelievers of their own people group. So they're not making those significant cultural leaps to reach the unengaged that are out there, or what she refers to as the frontier peoples. So the notion of rethinking resources is really important. If if the realities are out there, such as what is shared, and, and I will say the research on money in missions is very, very uh, scarce. If those realities are true based on what little evidence we have, then we have to ask ourselves as, as wise kingdom citizens, you know, does the apostolic imagination rest comfortably in the fact that 0.1% of all financial resources go toward the most unevangelized areas. 
You know, the apostolic imagination find comfort in the fact that only about one missionary is going to uh, those that are those that are of the unengaged, unreached groups. And so we need to rethink the issue of, of the, the resources that we have, how we're using those resources. Next, we need to rethink sending structures. Rethink sending structures. Now, this is especially true for North America. Um, you know, when you look at the North American context, and we talk about missions uh, in, in a North American context, we really are talking about pastoral ministry. Yes, doing the work of evangelists. Yes, preaching the gospel. Yes, uh, planting churches, though planting churches is generally defined in terms of how do we gather together long-term kingdom citizens who have been in the kingdom for long-term to start a new worship expression and ministry in a community, very pastoral approach. Uh, talked about that in previous episodes on uh, apostolic missiology and apostolic church planting. And so we really need to think resending structures, especially in Western contexts, for, because for the most part, what sending structures are there to send out those that we've been calling missionaries to engage in church planting work? Uh, these structures are not designed for those doing apostolic work. They're designed, first and foremost, for those doing pastoral ministry. And, and I'll unpack that more. You've heard me talk about that in previous episodes as well, but we'll plan to unpack that later on. Uh, we also need to th- rethink partnerships. So rethink partnerships. And when you, when you look at what is going on with the growth of the majority world church, which is amazing that throughout 200 years of Protestant missionary history, the Holy Spirit did exactly what was promised, and churches were birthed, and those churches are going through sanctification process like all churches, and they're sending people to do apostolic work. How now does the West, how does the church in the West, with all of this history, good and bad, all of this experience— all of these resources, how do we partner? How do we work with brothers and sisters throughout the world? It really requires a rethinking what partnerships look like. And then the last thing we're going to have to rethink under the apostolic imagination is we're going to have to rethink the West. And I know we've been talking about this for a long time. Leslie Newbegin was talking about this back in his day when he was alive in the mid-20th century, and that is the notion of the of the West. So you know, what does it mean to engage in the West? And I'll go as far as to say not just missionary encounter because of the way that that language is being so muddied, as I've already been talking about, but what does it mean to to have an apostolic expression in the Western world whereby all of these very, very well-developed pastoral expressions uh, exist in that geographical context? But at the same time, how um, how do we engage with brothers and sisters, again, kind of going back to the previous question, brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, majority world countries, that are sending missionaries to the West. So they're coming to North America, they're coming to Western Europe, they're coming to Australia, New Zealand, traditional, uh, traditionally Western countries. You know, how, how do we need to rethink the West and what we do? So, hey folks, I know that I've covered a great deal of information in this episode, but but that is, that's what I'm working on right now in this book, Apostolic uh, Imagination, uh, Rethinking Contemporary Missions. And I plan to, um, to unpack uh, these, these 10 in several of the episodes to come. And uh, Lord William also giving a, a paper presentation on this topic in, um, in the fall at the National Evangelical Missiological Society 
gathering that's happening this year virtually. So if you're not a part of the EMS, love for you to join. Go check out Evangelical Missiological Society online and join and jump in. Love to have you be a part of the presentation uh, later uh, this uh, this fall. But that's where we're going, uh, Lord willing, uh, in the uh, this, uh, this season of Strike the Match. And again, as I mentioned, well, I'll still have guests on the program like I have in times past. And so you'll be able to hear from other folks uh, that are out there and you won't just be listening to me and my uh, voice all of that time. So, hey, as always, thanks so much for listening. And don't forget to, uh, to share this with those in your circles of influence. I greatly appreciate it. Appreciate you all. Thanks. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. Payne. You can find JD on Instagram, Facebook, or follow him on Twitter at JD underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite Android app or at iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.